Before I get started, um, last week, if you were here with us, I joked about doing a random message on Leviticus 18, not knowing what the content was. It was the incest chapter. But just for my own integrity, this morning I did do a short message on Leviticus 18 and put it on the midweeks. So if you go to our website, thecalvarywebsite.com, and you look under media, there's a, a tab called the midweeks where I usually post a podcast where I'm just working through scripture each week. And this morning we launched a special edition for Leviticus 18, 12 minutes of just working through a chapter of the Bible, hopefully edifying whoever wants to go and explore that. And I know some of you are kind of like, do I go now? Like, what is he doing with that chapter? Or do I stay here? Um, This will be a different topic, but I think uh, hopefully more immediately applicable to your life. I'm revisiting one of the... uh, portions of scripture from the New Testament that I like to go back to. I don't like going back to scripture very much. I mean, there's like 1,100 chapters in the Bible, which even if you just did one chapter every Sunday would take many years to get through. But I find myself coming back here. Second Timothy is uh, one of the books of the Bible that I have a deep affinity with and find myself returning to it over and over again just for my own reading of scripture. And These verses at the beginning, particularly verses 6 and 7, are wonderful verses that speak to my soul. The title of the message today is, Make the Fire Live. And the key verse is, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. So Father God, I just pray that you would do good to your church. Father, after 40 years of giving your people manna in the desert, six out of seven days, without showing any sign of needing to stop or wearing out or having supply chain issues, you wanted your people to come away going, we're meant to live from every word of God, and you have no problem making the word of God feed us every single day. And I pray that this morning you would do something different than you've ever done before in every single person's heart just to show your abounding power and creativity. I pray we would meet with Jesus. I pray that we would be encouraged in the Holy Spirit. I pray we would know the powerful and generous Father we have through Christ. And I pray, Lord, that today really would start being gear shifting for our city and a contribution to you doing something amazing in our generation. Lord, I want you to turn around what's been happening in North America. And I, want, and I think you're working on it, and I want to be a part of it, and we want to be a part of it. So keep us in step with the Spirit. In the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Wonderful. So the situation here is, When Jesus went back up to heaven after rising from the dead, he promised that he would send his Holy Spirit on the church so that the church would be able to do its mission of um, spreading the good news, the gospel, the message about how if anybody believes in Jesus, that he is the Lord and that he's raised from the dead, God would, as a free gift, forgive all of their sins. Now there's a deal. I'll tell you, there is not one fast food joint offering you a deal like that after church on Sunday. This is the best deal ever if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that God has made him king over the earth and that we need to get right with him because we have sin in our hearts and do sins with our lives. 
But if we will believe that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved, forgiven of our sins, adopted into God's family, and born again into a new life that will bring new life until we die and come back into everlasting life. This is the deal. But God knows that we can't actually do this job without his constant help. And so he sent the Holy Spirit into the church to do many things, But this is the work. And through apostles, he was spreading this gospel and building up churches. But apostles don't live forever. And so the apostle Paul was kind of arrested for what he expected to be the last time. In this letter, he's expecting to be executed for his faith. And he's writing this letter of encouragement for Timothy, who has been his understudy and right-hand man and spiritual son in the work of the gospel. And this is an encouragement where the entire theme is, I'm telling you what I think you need to hear so that you can be faithful to Jesus when I'm gone. And this is how he starts that letter. Starting in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you, Timothy, constantly in my prayers day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, which is the Holy Spirit. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Many translations will also say self-control, but I'm going with sound mind for a reason. So he's reminding Timothy that Timothy is actually part of what God has been doing for a long time. He finds himself in a generation, among generations of faithful believers, but it's time for him to take his place now in leadership, on front-end leadership in the kingdom of God. And the main thing Paul wants Timothy to remember is that he has the Holy Spirit and that the Spirit in him is meant to defeat the fear that is going to come against him. Wouldn't you be afraid if your mentor of all these years gets publicly executed and uh, Caesar, who is God of this world, is aligning himself against what you're working on in the kingdom? Wouldn't you be tempted? And he highlights that he wants Timothy to remember that this spirit will give him power and will give him love and will give him sound-mindedness. And long story short, you too. Me too, you too. Let this all be our Me Too movement. I have the Holy Spirit. Me too. I was just thinking about what I said there, and there's some truth to that. It's a better movement. Now, I want to pull out here and kind of look at just being alive before I apply this to our faith and to our experience as church members. One way you can look at being a human is you can look at being a human as like head issues, heart issues, and hand issues. And you probably already know what I'm talking about when I talk about this. As people, we do a lot of thinking. Amen? That's what you're doing right now. Not a lot of action happening in the limbs as you're sitting, but a lot of like hearing and mulling and thinking and analyzing and wondering, where is he going, what's he saying? What are people thinking? Do I have that cowlick in the back of my head? Lots of thinking going on. And you can look at being human as we're thinkers. 
You have this gigantic fat thing underneath this calcium bone house in our head. And we got little lightning bolts coursing across these things all the time, making thoughts and pictures in our minds and helping us analyze. We're thinkers. Being human is also a heart issue. And I know biblically the heart often means the whole person, but when we talk about the heart, we also we think about our emotional life. We're feelers. We get happy. We get sad. We get peaceful. We get, we get unpeaceful or angry, the bad ones. We desire. We recoil. We have this emotional life. And you can look at being human as we're like these big feelers, sometimes chaotically. But we're also doers, and that's the hand side. We make, we create, we consume, we, we get, build things and then sit in them and then use our feet to move them around and our hands to steer them. We're makers, we're creators. And though there's lots of ways of looking at this, your life is what you think, what you feel, and what you do, all wrapped up together. This is what it means to be human. Amen? And it seems to me, and I could be wrong, but it seems to me that when Paul says to Timothy, the Holy Spirit in your life wants to give you power and love and a sound mind, in one sense he's saying the Holy Spirit in you is creating this completely transformed experience of being human. In our head, he gives us a sound mind. In our heart, he attunes us with God's love. And with our hands, he gives us power. See those things lining up a little bit? Uh, let's, let's Greek this out a little bit. Now, sound mind self-control. I just, I just want to nerd out just a touch there. It's this interesting um, word, which I think is pronounced sophronismos. Yeah, just let the waves of being impressed flow across you. <laughs> and then remember that you, you still know me and let the impressedness just flood out like a bunch of used oil into a pan. But it, what it really, it, the idea is kind of like, um, it means like having your thoughts put together right. It's like when you buy a Ikea furniture and it comes in that super heavy box, you could just dump it all in the back of your truck and then drive home. And that would be a mess. And, and it's all in there, but it's a mess. But putting together that scroll neck or whatever that piece of furniture you bought with or that grisflash or whatever, you know, with the umlauts over the A. I have no idea. I don't speak Swedish. But usually the words just mean chair. Why does it have a weird name? It means chair. Okay. But when you have the instructions, you have the opportunity to put that thing together right so that it actually turns into a desk, right? And that's that idea of having your mind put together right so that your thinking does what it's supposed to do. Your sound-mindedness. And then it's sometimes translated self-control because when your thinking is put together the way God wants your thinking to go, you're actually able to lead the rest of your life with self-control. Does that make sense? I also want to touch on the word power there. It's, the, uh, it's just the word like dunamis which some charismatic people when I was growing up out, out in BC got like really hyped up. Cause like it, Cause it's the same word we get the word dynamite from. Well, yeah, kind of, but it doesn't mean dynamite. It just means like power. And so 
it's almost better to translate these, those two words, or that word as um, ability. Because even for power for us, that might move us into like the superhero territory a little bit. You're going to get power, you mean like, is it Hulk, or is it like Iron Man, or is it like that dumb one Hawkeye who doesn't even have a power, he's just kind of skilled or whatever. Sorry, someone's offended right now. He's not a superhero though. <laughs> he's, not a super, he's like Batman, but he's not a superhero. He's a hero. That's good. In fact, you should get more credit, right? Like, if you can run with the Avengers and you don't have a superpower, you must be great. But it just means ability, capability. So going back to our scripture here, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says, I want you to fan into flame the gift of God that's in you, which again is another cool Greek word, which is, I think, Anazo perismos or something like this, which means make the fire alive or make the fire again. Make the fire live, which is the Holy Spirit inside you, with your faith being that your fear will be conquered by his ability working through you and his love in unloving situations and his ability to get you to think straight and have your head screwed on right when everything around you is going to want to deceive you, distract you, or destroy your faith. Cool? Does that sound like a good deal? Anybody want that? Yeah, me too. Great news. The spirit of your Father who loves you wants to do that in you. And we have a part to play. Make the fire alive. Now, thinking about the head, hand, heart, uh, three perspectives, they're not apart. They're not totally separate. These are ways of looking at life. Uh, which way do you lean? Are you a head person? Are you a thinker? Okay, well, let's get to know each other. Who, which, who of you think that like, head stuff is what you're most natural at? Put up your hand. Okay, everybody look around. These are your thinkers, nice and high. Come on, don't be embarrassed. You've got a hand. Now, this is awkward. It's like, maybe I should be making you lift up your heads if you're head people. <laughs> okay, you like thinking, you like analyzing, you like mulling, you like sitting. Who here is a hand person? Who, like, who are the doers? Put your hands up. You get to put your, You like the doers. If you haven't accomplished something, if you haven't baked something, if you haven't put two pieces of wood together with a piece of metal, if you haven't fixed something, you don't even know why you should be alive. Right? You're not like me. When I get a kidney stone, I go a little bit of hurt and then vacate time. Toradol time. That's how it goes, right? You just get a little, it gets in there and it's like, it's going to hurt for a bit, then the Toradol hits, and then I finally get to like not have to work on a sermon for a little bit. Hand people, the worst part of getting sick is all the stuff you didn't get done, right? Okay, who's heart people? Who are like emotionally wired? Put up your hearts. Just do a little like Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom kind of thing and, okay. So we're a mix, and all of us have an inclination, and it's a wonderful gift, and the Holy Spirit wants to mature us in all of it. 
Amen? He wants to make our strengths more and more of a blessing, and he wants to take our weaknesses and help us meet Jesus in it so that they can also become more and more of a blessing. I'm definitely a head guy with a rascally heart running around in there, and if I never had to use my hands again, well, it'd be hard to send text messages, but at least (laughs) I'd be okay. But after living with Jackie for a long time, I can actually do some good hand stuff because she's kind of handy. Now, churches are like this too. Churches are like this too. There are head churches, there are heart churches, and there are hand churches. Anybody here been in a head church? You get the exegesis, you get the analysis, you get the, they actually remember the verse references. They've got the big books, they've got some degrees. Anybody been at a heart church? Where unless you, it's like flowed over into this emotional explosion, you know, unless you've cried, what's the point of going to church if you're not going to cry? Anyone been to a doer church? They're running this ministry. They've got a thousand missionaries in different countries. They get this done. They're, they've never stopped a building project in the last 20 years. Okay, who grew up in a head church? Okay, who grew up in a hand church? Who grew up in a heart church? Yeah, so just roughly generalizing, like Reformed churches tend to be kind of head churches. A lot of the old, like Mennonite ones tend to be hand churches, a lot of doing, caring for stuff. Charismatic Pentecostal churches tend to be heart churches, true fact. Yeah, we get it? We see the body in its different aspects. What do you think about Calvary? And just if, you, if you've been here a while, just rank us in those three things in order. Where do, where do you think we fit? Okay, three, two, one. I'd kind of guess we were like a heart, head, hand church overall. We do a lot of stuff. I'd kind of think we're a heart, head, hand church. Maybe heart and head wrestle a little bit, depending if I'm preaching or Greg's preaching or whatever. <laughs> You're going to get at least 20 minutes or 30 minutes of head church on a Sunday, but we're pretty hardish. We want relationship. We want to love each other. We want to cry together. We want to feel God's presence. This is good stuff. But they all come with strengths and weaknesses, don't they? And I like to think of this analogy of a fireplace. Head churches like sound doctrine. They like truth. They like the stability and the security of getting God's word right and getting God's doctrine right. They like the protection of strong walls against false doctrine. And that is a lot like when you have a big fireplace, like the brickwork at the back and the stainless steel and the grills. Those things are unmovable, solid. The heart people, they like the fire. Anybody? 
And it's funny, like, it's because, you know, charismatics, we like the fire. We kind of forget that fire destroys stuff sometimes. We like the heat and the light, but, you know, it's like, if it, it can get out of control. You can burn stuff down. But in the right place where it's not going to do a lot of damage, fire's great. And the hand people are kind of like the meat and the grits. Looks like there's some sautéed zucchini in the front there and a pot of barbecue sauce. And what is that thing on the right? Vince, Matt, some brisket. Because the hand people, they don't care if you've got a nice fireplace. They don't care how hot the fire is. If you're not going to do some good to people with it, what's the point? You're get some meat on there and feed somebody. Look at you're just skin and bones. Eat. Kind of like the head, kind of like the heart, kind of like the hands. It's a fire in a solid place doing some good for people. Well, where can head churches fall off the fall off the wagon? Head churches can sometimes get harsh. Head churches can sometimes get critical. Head churches can sometimes get too busy with finding what's wrong with other churches or with what people are in their churches. Sometimes you can wonder if head churches think there's anybody in the world getting it right. True fact. And I say that with so much love for head churches. I love them. And almost all my favorite theology writers are head church people. So I say it with so much love and no judgment. But sometimes, sometimes they can get a little too critical. Where do heart churches fall off? Fall off the narrow road. Sometimes we can be a little too emotional. Sometimes we can get hurt too easy. And sometimes we can think because we have a strong feeling it must be right. Or it must be the Lord. Amen? And we're, the heart churches are, can be prone to like, I don't want to say false teaching, but like maybe just not being careful with truth sometimes. And sometimes you can have a big movement with the heart people. And it's great, and then it blows up, and then everyone's staring at each other and saying, what just happened there? He had a bazillion tattoos, and it was really intense. And then it just melted down, and no one can tell what's going on with that guy anymore. What can go wrong with hand churches? Well, sometimes hand churches can get so in the muck and in the mud and wanting to do good that they can forget that they're on mission with Jesus. And they can evaluate things by how much money they're passing through into different programs. And there's a real tendency for hand churches to become liberal churches who adopt the values of the culture around them. They become woke. And they start doing the good deeds that the world is doing in the, in the name of a church, but they've lost that kind of the truth or the fire of Jesus. And I like to think, the truth is, without strong sound-mindedness in a church, biblical truth, the church loses its identity, that we're this supernatural organization. 
We're born-again people remade in the image of God, in the image of Christ, who are on mission in a dying world that will someday be destroyed. We lose our identity without the truth. Without love, though, we lose our integrity. Because people can look at us doing a bunch of stuff, but if we're not madly in love with Jesus and really loving each other, people can look at what we're doing and saying, you look fake. You go, you're the greatest thing ever. And you don't look like you believe he's the greatest thing ever. And I would live for you all the time and I want to give my life to you. What's for dinner? Without the heart being on fire for Jesus and on fire for each other, we, we lack integrity. We don't look like we mean what we say. And if we don't have the hand and if we're not effective in the mission of the gospel or of outreach, we lose our efficacy. Sometimes people have thought that about Calvary. It's a great service, but what good are you doing in the city? You have really great community groups where you like each other. But people have a hard time getting into those groups. Or the groups going out and getting people. We had a really interesting... You know, we're doing this Joy Project thing. Anybody remember we were advertising this too, almost too big community group? And uh, I know my weaknesses. I'm a head guy, heart guy. And so, um, and so partnering with Vince and Mavis, and Vince is more of a heart guy, hand guy, I think. Is that fair? Yeah, a big feeler who actually wants to make other people's lives better. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> and so we went out just to kind of do one of those random act of kindnesses things last week. And it was awesome. I mean, my lungs are still burning from the fresh air a little bit. Like, I would have been okay from house to car to inside. Good. Everything's been filtered. Everything's been breathed and rebreathed. So I know it's safe. If I'm only breathing air, other people have breathed already. I know it's safe because they're not dead. <laughs> but we went out, and some people were impacted. And some people, I, our group was, is, was good. Our group was a solid. It was like four guys. So if we managed to bless anybody, that was a win, right? But some of, some of the folks who just listened to the Lord and did some stuff, I think they changed some people's lives by getting outside and doing some handwork. Wonderful. But I would think that if Paul says to Timothy, the Holy Spirit in you, when he's fanned into flame, will give you a sounder mind and more love, expressing it with real power, that God wants a fully functioning barbecue kitchen in his churches. And even though we might lean this way or lean that way, it's not okay to just be your leaning. He wants us to mature in all the ways so that we can really do the mission. Great teaching, real love, and real changing people's lives. A fully maturing individuals, growing in all these ways, coming together to be a maturing church that's doing all these things. And I think that's God's will. So what else can we learn? We can learn from this passage that when we are... Because I think 
I'm going to assume that, that you're with me so far. I'm going to assume that none of you are like, love, eh. I know love's hard. I've said it before. But none of you are just like, I do not believe I am called to love everybody or anybody or at all. I want to be like you. I want to say some Greek stuff and go home. I'm assuming that you actually want power from the Lord. I'm assuming that you actually do want to love better, more and more, both God and your brothers and sisters and the lost, until you see Jesus face to face. I'm, 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 I'm believing that all of us really believes, boy, it would be great to believe the Word of God more deeply and be controlled by the truth of Scripture more powerfully, and to not keep catching myself deceived or functioning as somebody who believes it but can't quite apply it yet, controlled by things that aren't true. Fair? Fair assumption? <laughs> I know some people think certain things when you use that word, but in this case, it's a good thing. Now, when Paul is talking about the opposite of this, he labels in this passage fear. And it's a different word than the regular fear that it talks about, like the fear of the Lord or showing respect fear, like fear of the king, as in showing respect, knowing that this guy can like just say, like, off with your head, and he can do it because he's the king. You want to respect the guy who can say, off with your head? You need to fear the Lord because he's God, and he deserves respect. But this is a different one. This is the one where it's like you're not being what God made you to be when you do this kind of fear. And I just think it's a real highlight afresh for me. You know, we can all feel anxious. We can all feel uh, waves of terror and sometimes, or, or fear. And sometimes it is like just the enemy taking a go at us. But just remembering that that's not the Lord. I need to remember that's not the Lord. It needs to not be participated with because the mission of that kind of fear is to rob us of having the Holy Spirit's fire alive, doing mental reconfiguration and heart restoration and hand... Uh, I need an Asian word. Anybody? Activation. Thank you. This is a team effort. Fear of the culture. Uh, fear of what people are thinking. Fear of getting hurt again. Fear of getting it wrong. Fear of going broke. Uh, fear of God being disappointed in you if you do something or don't do something. Uh, fear, fear of uh, being condemned. Uh, fear of experiencing shame. Fear of uh, being humiliated. Fear of falling into a sin that you feel like you're not confident you defeated yet. Fear of the government, fear of politics, fear of the economy, fear of uh, violence, fear of um, rejection, fear of whatever. Fear of COVID, yeah, fear of dying, fear of getting sick, fear of being ill for a long time, fear of physical weakness, fear, fear of mental illness, fear of whatever, all this stuff. Fear of being hurt. Yeah, it's real. And if you're Timothy, 
and the, the spiritual father you've built your entire ministry working with is about to be publicly executed. And if you haven't already been to jail, you know it's coming up. Fear, 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 fear. And Paul being this awesome writing scripture guy says, your response needs to be to make the Holy Spirit as hot and bright and fiery as possible. Which is where we kind of switch into a different category of doing life because if you take the scripture seriously, whose job is it to make sure that the fire is alive? For Timothy, whose job was it? It was his job. Thank you, sir. Paul says to Timothy, it's your job to make sure the Spirit is alive in you. I've laid hands on you. I've prayed for you. We know the Spirit's in you. And now it's your job to make sure He is as effective as possible in your life. So for each one of us, whatever's going on and whoever's in prison and whoever's about to die, whose job is it to make sure we're as on fire in the Spirit with truth and love and doing good stuff as possible? Whose job? Okay, we're going to do this one. Because you can't be in the part of the message where it's about you doing something and then not do it. Anything, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about? We're just going to take baby steps, say it's mine. Baby steps, start to pray more. Baby steps, read the Bible. Baby steps, give away all your money to the poor. Baby steps, that's not a baby step. That's a big deal. But, so, in the Lord, you're forgiven. You're loved. You're saved. You're going to live forever. You're called. You have the Spirit. And now whose job is it to make sure the Spirit is as fiery as possible in your life? It is? Wonderful. That's great. And if you're in that place where you just don't like participating with group obligations, God bless you too. Wow. It's a partnership. Wow. The Holy Spirit might be waiting for me. Wow. I might be complaining about something before I even tried something. Wow. I might be judging God for something that's not happening because he wanted me to do something first. Wow. Maybe it's time to evaluate how I've been doing things because nobody's ever told me this before. Wow. Maybe I need to to do this for a bit and then judge whether or not the Lord's with me. Wow. Wow? Just me? So three ways we can, we can go for this. Number one, I think it does kind of start with going for it with a zeal for truth. The next thing in the scriptures that Paul does when he's telling Timothy to fan the flame, the gift of God, is he gives us to him this list of power truths for Timothy to believe, knowing that God is with him. 
Starting verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel by the power of God. So those sufferings are the things that he thinks he's going to be afraid of. Walking with Jesus is going to hurt. Now, I don't like to hurt. Anybody with me here? I was just talking about my tour to all vacations. It's a lot different trying to pass a kidney stone without some medications. 5.1 millimeters last two weekends ago. Anybody, somebody, nobody? Just turns your brain off. We don't like pain. But there is this call to walk with Christ in a way that does require embracing hurt. And then in verse 9, he starts the power list. By the power of God, he says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, so it didn't even start with us, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Jesus before the ages began, which now has been made manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You've got life. You've got immortality. You've been chosen. This grace you've been given, God decided to give it to you before you were even born. And now we're going to worry about something today, even though he chose you before you were even born. God's got this. He's big. He's for you. He's saved you. He's given you Jesus, all this stuff. And so when Paul wants Timothy to have lots of logs to throw in the fire, he starts with some super truths. And there is something about us just wanting to fight to have a zeal for the truth and to kind of be upset when we believe crap about God or ourselves. I said the C word and I can defend it biblically. But I won't right now. Number two, we can stir up our love. Uh, Real biblical love isn't something that happens naturally or else we wouldn't be told we have to do it. (laughs) The Bible never says, breathe. Because we do it. But it calls us to love because we don't do it naturally. But we can, in the Lord, go like, oh Lord, give me love. I want to love. And take risks for love. And um, try to acknowledge where you don't do love. You can analyze 1 Corinthians 13 and go like, have I been patient? Have I been kind? I usually fail the whole list, and so I don't get through it all the time. But we can aim to stir up our affections and our love. When Jesus was talking to the churches in Revelations, the first churches in in Ephesus, you remember this one maybe, some of you? They were a great head church. They had just absolutely lanced the boil of a false doctrine that was in their church. But then Jesus says, I have this problem with you guys. You've forgotten your first love. And he says, if you don't repent, I'm going to take your lampstand away. Like he, he threatens to destroy their church because they have forgot to stir up their love for Christ and for each other. Even though they had absolutely written the best anti-woke theology books of all time. So if Jesus can just say, like, you're, we have a policy at Calvary not to pick up things we dropped during the message. <laughs> so I'm stuck here. <laughs> we can actually prayerfully try to stir up our love. And number three, we can aim to use our gifts. Oh, come on now. <laughs> Special delivery. 
Can you bring it to me in the back of a flatbed truck next time, please? Thank you. I know you can do it. So when God moves into someone's life to give them power and ability, I see it as him doing two things usually. He wants to take our natural abilities and refine them for use in the kingdom. Some of us are naturally good with our hands. Some of us are naturally good thinkers. Some of us are naturally good with people. And he wants to take those things and refine them and make them great for the kingdom. Done for God's glory. Done in God's love. Done with him. And with Christ, we'll be better at stuff than we would be without him. And... Based on Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, he also wants to do some supernatural stuff through us as well. Speaking in tongues, words of knowledge, uh, prophetic stuff, gifts of healing, other things. And he wants to do that. Speaking in tongues, did I mention that one already? Discernment of tongues, which is still the weirdest one to me. Like, that's the strangest one. Supernatural interpretations of a, of a language. Tongues is also very strange. But, just so you know, Calvary Church is a charismatic church, and we do believe in that stuff, and we're a bit of a feeler church, and so that's going to happen. All right? And uh, if you're from more of a head church background and all of a sudden it seems like something too emotional or out of control is happening, it's going to be okay. You're not in danger. And we do care about truth. And we do care about weighing things biblically. But it takes time. But the best way to deal with that is to not, like, want to criticize too quickly. And if you're from, from more of a feeler background, uh, we want to do the spiritual gifts well, which does involve refining and testing and discerning and always asking the question, can I do this more in love? Can I do this more in love? And testing to see if it's actually changing lives for the good. Are people being blessed? Are people being blessed? We want the, we want the whole meal deal. Because we know from Scripture that power and love and a sound mind are what the Holy Spirit has for us. Each one of us and us all together. And it's our job as a church, and as individuals, to set our hearts to fanning into flame, to loving the truth of God in Scripture, stirring our hearts up to love and affection for God and each other, and to actually want to change people's lives for the good with our natural abilities and with some supernatural stuff too. Say good? Okay. Wonderful. We're going to worship in a sec. So you can come up, team. I want to make sure one of the things that Paul said is, I know the Spirit's in you, Timothy, because I've laid hands on you. I don't think it's a legalistic requirement. 
But if you've never had someone pray for you to be filled with the Spirit, including laying their hands on you, I think you should feel free to ask someone today to do that with you. If you're hungry for that. We know it's scriptural. We just have been barking about it all morning. But sometimes I think we can kind of forget that there are things that they did in the Bible that actually expressed faith. I want what Rob's talking about. Paul said it started with getting hands laid on me. And so if you, if you haven't had that, you can ask a brother or sister or you can come and ask a leader to do that with you. And we just do it in faith. And don't go looking for signs that nothing's happening. Anybody ever done that before? You want to get prayed for and you wait for the lightning to hit you or the, the, the fuzzies or something and you're just waiting to get disappointed because of some expectation. No, like we, we've studied the Word of God together. Let's just do it in faith that if we come and ask, we've got a generous Father. He won't give us a stone. He won't give us a serpent. He will give us His bread, which is the gift of the Spirit. And otherwise, I think we should just Let's be so happy that God wants to use us. Amen? So, Father God, I want to I I I be so overcoming the fears, Lord. Father, I don't want to be the best in anything, but I do want to be in the running for most improved. And so, Lord, I pray you give us that same heart, that we wouldn't be comparing in a bad way and even putting up an idol in our minds about what things have to be like in order for us to be a Christian success. But I do pray, Lord, that we'd be stirred in our spirits to want to be the most improved son or daughter of God possible. We know there is supernatural energy from the third person of the Trinity available in our souls to change our mind and to change our feelings and to change our actions. And so, Lord, we just ask by faith today that you would supply this thing for us. And, Father, where I am a stinker when it comes to keeping the spirit flame fully alive, I want a renovation in my life. And I pray you be training each one of your soldiers here how to keep the fire hot in the fireplace of truth with lots of meat on the grill to do so much good. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.